Lucas on Life. Hello, welcome to Lucas on Life. Tonight, we're talking about technology, which is such a huge part of most of our lives. Call me old, but I can still remember the days when a phone call involved popping into a red box and making sure you had the right change. Then came the mobile phone. But the first one I had was about the size and weight of a house brick, not so mobile. And then Palm Pilots. Anyone remember them? They made their appearance with the humble beginnings of the GPS system. Gone were the days of trying to figure out whether we had the map upside down or not, and much marital navigational tension was relieved in our home by that sometimes irate lady in our phone who tells us to turn left or right. Now, we've got phones that aren't really phones. They're mini computers, and we're glued to them much of the time. If you doubt that, just hop on a train or the tube and you'll see the serious devotion that most display to their phones. But without sounding like an old-fashioned Luddite, is technology serving us or are we serving it? Social media has become a huge part, once again, of most of our lives at least. But a report out this week says that hate speech online has increased by 20% during the pandemic. The youth charity Ditch the Label commissioned a study which analysed 263 million online conversations. People are angrier and they're using technology to express it. So tonight on Lucas on Life, we're reflecting about technology. The perils of machines. Where would I be without Brenda? Brenda's in her mid-thirties. She has the shrill voice of a permanently irritated headmistress, and we're now having a relationship. Brenda is a source of special comfort to me late at night when I'm driving alone. She has a doctorate in geography. Specifically, she has committed every street, road, lane, and motorway in Britain to her memory. She, of course, is the voice inside my phone, maps, GPS, and she is my deliverer since I have a special gift for getting lost all over the world. My only criticism is that she seems emotionally repressed. I'd like her to clap and cheer and offer warmest congratulations when I arrive somewhere, but her flat, monotone voice just coldly announces that I have now reached my destination, and she says nothing more. Of course, she, in a sense, is just a robot. I don't introduce her to my friends. Brenda is just one of the many machines that now surround me. My phone also tells me what to do each day, as well as providing the telephone numbers of everybody that I've met since birth. And then my laptop allows me to check the size of my overdraft, receive 300 emails daily, make that 400, and then broadcast with Premier Radio here in Colorado. That's where I'm sitting, and you're, well, you're wherever you are. But my marriages to my machines have not been entirely happy. I've actually bought a few devices that were supposed to save me time, but I haven't actually found the time to read the instructions. And then once, I accidentally poured the contents of a boiling kettle into my laptop, which literally screamed, I'm serious, and it gave up the ghost, taking a million vital details of my life to a hot, watery grave. And through a series of thoughtless keystrokes, once I managed to format the hard drive on another computer. For those listeners unfamiliar with this somewhat ancient computer jargon, that's the high-tech equivalent of opening the top of one's head, removing one's brain, and lobbing it into a rubbish bin. The computer was absolutely stunned when I told it to do this. 
Are you sure? It pleaded. Presumably brainless myself, I told it that yes, I was certain. I pressed why. Goodbye to another five years of diaries, accounts, sermons, and just about everything. When I realized what I had done, I was a little perturbed. If being a little perturbed means running around the house screaming like a banshee. But there is another more subtle peril in being hemmed in by my electrical, electronic friends. These machines all exist in my life for one sole purpose, and that's to serve me. They live and hum only for my comfort, efficiency, information, and direction. I give them nothing except input and power so that they will serve me better. They are metal appendages that are bolted onto me solely to improve my lot. I am their lord. And then, when they become obsolete, which seems to happen about 30 minutes after I purchase them, I will forsake them without a thought or shed a tear, and I'll take up a flashier, more temporary gizmo. The danger of all of this is that I can start to treat the people around me in the same way. Failing to see beyond the horizon of my own selfish wants and needs, I began to view my marriage, my friendships, and my church all as entities that exist primarily for me, for my benefit. People can become mere things that we embrace or reject according to their ability to serve us. How many human beings have I encountered today without ever really seeing them? Those who spend their lives meeting people are particularly prone to this. The hospital doctor who refers to the broken leg in bed five has lost sight of the person and only sees an ailment to cure. Insisting that we refer to people with disabilities appropriately is about far more than using politically correct language. It is honouring the basic right that we all share to be viewed as fully human. But I have learned a useful lesson from my machines too. When shutting my computer down, sometimes I methodically close all of the various programs that I've used one by one. I'm learning to do something similar with my mind, especially when I'm about to meet people. If my brain is cluttered with the debris of too many mental journeys, then I'll fail to focus and give my fullest attention to those that I meet. They will just be one of many windows that I am keeping open. We can give others the wondrous gift of our fullest attention, and to do so confirms the truth that each one of us is a unique, fascinating creation, worth more than a passing glance. Someone recently told me about how God used me to help them come to faith at a Christian conference. I wondered, which sermon was it? But my speculations were actually quite wrong. Apparently, it wasn't a sermon at all. This person came up to me as I was walking to a seminar and I just slowed down and chatted. My willingness to pause was sufficiently impressive to bring them to a decision about Christ. I share this without a hint of smugness because I'm painfully aware that there have probably been too many times when my hurry meant that I was insensitive and unwilling to be interrupted. On this occasion, by God's grace, I got it right. So let's slow down. Let's close the windows. Let's pay attention. And let's realize that everything and everybody in life is not just about me. We're talking about technology, and let me share another disaster that occurred in my life all around technology. The message that popped up on my computer screen seemed innocuous enough, announcing that it was time for my software to be updated. A single mouse click would launch the procedure. 
and normally I pause before performing this kind of techno task and ensure that my precious data is safe by backing it up. But that day, I was working on about 10 projects at once. So without thinking, I clicked. Big mistake. Two hours later, I was left holding a laptop that was damaged beyond repair. My hard drive obliterated, my data wiped out. Book manuscripts, accounts, emails, they were all vaporized by this helpful update. I wish I could report that I responded to this crisis with quiet repose, affirming that the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Instead, I believe that my screaming was overheard on Jupiter. I spent three days with a genius who valiantly tried to help me. I won't name the computer company, that would be quite wrong. Besides, I like the design of the piece of fruit that adorns my laptop, even if it's now only useful as a doorstop. A few days later, I popped into a bathroom in the motorway services and having washed my hands, I stood for 30 seconds with my hands outstretched in a worshipful position, waiting for the hot air to dry them. And then the truth dawned. I was actually waiting in vain for a vending machine to dry my hands. Passers-by were surely bemused by the chap who seemed lost in adoration before a silver box that dispenses contraceptives and breath mints. Awkward. Both of these episodes happened because I was multitasking. Texting while I was walking into said motorway toilets, I'd pause my texting to answer a call and then got an email. Focused, I most certainly was not. Unfocused and distracted by technology is what most of us are. Allegedly, most people who use a tablet, such as an iPad, do so while watching TV. Half of tablet users will visit social networking sites while in front of the TV. Two-thirds will check their emails and most will be browsing other sites and all while watching television. According to one academic, we're living in an age of infomania. Armed with a smartphone that also serves as a camera, calculator, stock market scoreboard, web browser, email inbox, gaming console, appointment calendar, voice recorder, guitar tuner, weather forecaster, GPS, texter, tweeter, Facebook updater, music player, and torch. We're constantly multitasking. While out having lunch with friends, we surreptitiously check to see what our other friends are doing and even post photographs of the cheese and pickle sandwich that we're snacking on so that the universe can stand amazed in awe and wonder as they view that sandwich. And although we think we're doing several things at once, multitasking is actually a powerful and diabolical illusion. Earl Miller, a neuroscientist and one of the world experts on divided attention, says that our brains are not wired to multitask well. When people think that they're multitasking, he said, they're actually just switching from one task to another very rapidly. And every time they do, there's a cognitive cost. According to a study at the University of Sussex, constant multitasking actually damages your brain. They found out that people who regularly engage in multitasking have lower brain density in the region of their brain responsible for empathy, cognitive control, and emotional control. Other studies have found that multitasking reduces productivity by up to 40%. So we need to turn things off. Turn off our phones once in a while. Turn off browser notifications. Turn off email notifications. We can attend to all of those things later. Sometimes we don't actually need them right now. So why don't we build technology breaks into our schedules, both at work and at home? To be the most beneficial, the experts say that they should be for a minimum of one to three hours at a time. 
This enables us to engage with people or tasks in deeper and different ways. It's also recommended that we avoid all screens which stimulate far more than they relax for the first and last hour of the day, so that we can begin and end with uncluttered focus. Oops, my phone just beeped right in the middle of this broadcast, demanding my instant attention. And although it takes the greatest effort, I've made a decision. It can wait. Earlier, I mentioned the potentially horrifying advice that we should turn our phones off once in a while. Here's a few reasons why. That little screen might be sucking the life out of you. When we're overloaded with choices and information, that can be emotionally draining. Secondly, let's know the world doesn't need to know that we like porridge. We don't have to take photographs of our breakfast. Thirdly, when we're finding out about people online, we could be missing out on connecting with people who are right in front of us. Life was meant to be a conversation, not a newsflash, in 140 characters or less. And finally, your phone, my phone, it won't feel hurt if we ignore it. Let's take control. Be the boss. Being a machine, it won't get wounded, feel neglected, or withdraw into a sulky silence, not talking to us for three days. Let's do it. Let's take a technology break. See you next time. Lucas on life.